Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Under the radar means hearing about things you didn't know you needed to know until you hear them. It's a serious look. To hear about the issues that don't get the attention they deserve. Under the radar doesn't get caught up in the day-to-day. Surfacing issues that are not talked about in mainstream media. I think it's something that connects us to each other. Under the radar is all about discovery. I can be guaranteed voices I haven't heard before. But also the questions. Under the radar is one step ahead. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, we're all living in a real-life pandemic, so we could all use a little escapism. Social distancing doesn't apply to books, so cozy up with some stories you can't miss. It's our annual summer reading special. Whether it's a murder mystery, a mythical reimagining, an historic biography, or a visually enchanting graphic novel, Three local librarians give us their picks for the books you won't be able to put down this summer, plus suggestions for kids and teens, as well as summer reading programs that are accessible to all during this time of social distancing. This and more in a special one-hour summer reading special, part of our bookmarked the Under the Radar Book Club. Joining me remotely, Susanna Borastan-Tokach, Emerging Technologies Librarian at the Cambridge Public Library. Hi, Susanna. Hello. Thanks for having us. So glad to have you. Robin Brenner, Teen Librarian at the Public Library of Brookline. Welcome back, Robin. Thanks for having me back. And Veronica Coven-Mattesee, Reader Services Librarian at the Boston Public Library. Hi, Veronica. Hi. So happy to be here. Yes, I'm thrilled to have all of you. You all three joined me last year. So that gives me an opportunity to, you know, really talk about the differences between our conversation last year as opposed to this year. Boy, what a difference a year makes or a few months, if you will. Now, normally I would start this conversation by asking each of you to give me your philosophy of summer reading. And I just want to remind you that last year, Robin, you told me summer reading was a time to catch up on the reading before you went traveling. Real different now. (laughs) Veronica, (laughs) you said you had piles of books in your house you wanted to read, so summer was a time to tackle it. We'll have to find out if you've been doing that. And (laughs) Susanna, you said you read the same thing all year round, so you've just been continuing. And again, I don't know if that is uh, still your habit. But the the important thing is that being inside uh, because of the stay-at-home advisory has shaped, I think, uh, how people read. But I want to hear from you all. So, Veronica, what have you seen change or have you seen anything change in the way that people uh, access the library? Because as we know, the libraries have been closed. I mean, for sure, we're seeing a huge uptick in accessing ebooks and and e-audiobooks. And that, you know, makes sense. You can't come into the physical library, but you can still check out an ebook. In terms of content, I think it's hard to say. I think that people look for different things. We definitely, honestly, I was surprised by this. Um, We put up a book list of, you know, books about pandemics. And I was like, who wants to read that right now? A lot of people apparently want to read that right now. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, people are checking out, you know, a lot of comfort reads, a lot of romance and, you know, escapism. My department does um, personalized book recommendations as um, one of our services. And we've definitely gotten some requests from people saying, you know, can you just recommend me something that's happy? You know, nothing bad happens in it. And I'm like, 
I can relate to that a lot. But some people really also find comfort in reading challenging things during challenging times. So it's a personal taste thing, I think. Hmm. All right, uh, Susanna, have you noticed similar kinds of things or different? Yes. So similarly, I am part of our online book recommendation service that we're offering during this time. And the vast majority of patrons are asking for funny, fantasy, mystery, escape, purely escapism, um, probably 90% fiction. And then there are some who are coping with this time in other ways. Um, they want books about finance or something similar to Camus' The Plague, and that's a different way of coping with this time. I certainly have opted for the, the escapism route. Yeah, okay. And finally, Robin. Um, we've had a lot of the similar sort of ideas as well. Um, one of the things we've noticed is, as other people have said, a big uptick in people accessing our digital collections. I have actually a couple statistics in that uh, in April 2020, it was a 60% increase in overdrive, which is ebooks and audiobooks um, from the same time last year. And then in Hoopla, which is another service that does audiobooks and ebooks as well as uh, video, um, there's an 83% increase from last year. So it's a lot of different ways to access the collections. And then the other thing we've actually had is a lot of people sending in requests for their uh, to reset their PIN numbers and to reaccess their accounts. So it's showing us that there are a lot of people that are reconnecting with the library during this time, which is, you know, nice to hear um, and obviously has made us make sure that we are catching all the people that are trying to get in um, in a kind of very different way than they normally would. So what I've heard from you all, and uh, apparently it's it's somewhat of a trend happening across the country, is that there has been renewed interest that the pandemic has in reading, period, what, whatever you're reading, though there is the dichotomy that you all have expressed between just give me something fun to other people wanting to dive into something more serious. But in general, there's been more interest in reading. I mean, we've been hearing so much about binge watching, but apparently a lot of people are binge reading as well or have been during this time. I just wanted to point out that the the book clubs have gone virtual, which has also increased uh, interest in reading. And we took a look around just the web to, to see what would pop up on YouTube. So here's a montage of a few virtual book clubs that have popped up during the pandemic. Hey everyone, it's Rhino here with our next book club entry. This time around, we're going to be reading The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins. Hey you guys, it's Sam. I recently put up an Instagram story asking if you guys might want to read books with me and dozens and dozens of you responded in the first 10 minutes being like, yes, let's have a virtual book club. I love it. Hey everyone, uh, we're excited to kick off this series with New York Times bestselling author Madeline Miller. Uh, Madeline, welcome to our first live virtual book club. Hello, and thank you so much for having me. So I'm just pointing that out because I think we're going to be doing a lot of virtual activity at least for the next several months, uh, maybe not as much, but certainly it will continue. So that's already a good sign that I think uh, that people are ready to consider summer reading. And with that, I'm going to start asking you all what you would recommend, given that there has been an interest in reading during the pandemic, 
And you may be looking now for the summer as a way of interesting people in something a little bit different or maybe not. So we'll find out. Let's start with you, Robin. You have a whole interesting list of, well, all kinds of stuff. I'll let you you pick out your sure. first two, your first top two. <laughs> um, well, first off, just from the, the clip you just shared, one thing I will say is that, um, like many people, I have already started reading The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes from Suzanne mm. Collins, which is the uh, prequel to The Hunger Games. And um, it's one of those things where I think it's appealing right now, particularly because it's a return to a world that a lot of us know, but from a very different point of view um, and a very different time. I think what's been nice about it, too, is is kind of starting to read it again. And, and I haven't been able to read it as fast as I might. Um, <laughs> but it's um, it's the proof that one, she remains the writer that she is, which is that she's very engaging and very compelling and has a really interesting take on revisiting the world she, she's already known for. Um, and to be been clear, it's on your list. So just to be it clear. Is, yes, it, yes, it was already yes. on my list. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those ones where it's there's a lot of discussion around the fact that it's about the person who eventually becomes the great villain of the series. And I personally really like it when someone investigates another aspect of a world that they've created. And, and I don't need my main character to be a hero. I just need them to be interesting. So I'm, I'm curious about how that will go. Uh, so I think that's going to be on a lot of people's lists because it's, it shares that familiarity of returning to someplace that they already know, but it's a new story. So it'll be more easy to kind of read. Um, since a lot of us, I think, are having trouble concentrating, I think it's nice to have a little bit of familiarity and everything that you're trying for. Um, what would be your, your next one after that that you might pick off your long list? Let's see. <laughs> there are so many. I like I like the name of one of yours, I have to say. Tweet Cute. Yeah. What? Tell me about that Tweet one. Tweet Cute. Yes, it's very cute. Um, that's one I picked partly to represent all of the romances in the world that we all love. Um, <laughs> yep. so, um, and I think a lot of people are falling back on... Uh, the kind of classic tropes of romances are extremely comforting in the same way that any genre tropes are, like mysteries are the same, I think. Um, but Tweet Cute is, is very much uh, two teenagers who are both fairly high achieving and very uh, determined to succeed in their senior years of high school. And it turns out they're both running the social media for rival restaurants. And they at first don't realize that the other person on the other side of the like media campaign is the same as the person they're also oh. falling for. Um, so it's one of those very classic setups, but it's it's very well written. And it's one of I, I appreciate romances that are romances, but also manage to work in other issues well. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those. Um, so it's just, it was one of those ones that's, again, not too challenging to read per se, but it's also not the fluffiest of fluff. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it for having a really solid and convincing romance. Oh, that's great. I, I have to say that romances are definitely on the minds of many. And my personal book club, not the Under the Radar book club, our last meeting was uh, May uh, for our season. And we read Jasmine Guillory's The Wedding Party because we just couldn't take anything else. So <laughs> just to follow yeah. you all, your theme <laughs> of escapism. So, Susanna, um, give me your top. In fact, your top pick, Kawhi Strong Washburn. I have a little clip of that. So let's listen to this. This is, you know, authors with new releases take a tour to promote their books. But this poor person, and then because of the age of the pandemic, they're turning online. So here is Kawhi Strong Washburn speaking about his new novel, Sharks in the Time of Saviors. What I can say best is that it's a, it's a family saga that centers on a working class family in Hawaii that experiences a miracle 
And that miracle reshapes entirely what the family thinks about itself and its heritage and forces each of the characters in, in these different directions. And the novel then becomes about how they can grapple with the implications of this miracle and, and find their way back to each other. So, Susanna, we heard from the author um, himself. Why do you like the book? Yes, this is the book I am most enthusiastically recommending right now. It came out just before libraries started closing, so I'm afraid that it will fly under the radar. Um, it is about a family of five, as the author said, in Hawaii, who are financially struggling amid the collapse of the sugarcane industry in the mid-90s. Um, however, one of the three children, his name is Noah, is gifted with a somewhat magical ability that allows him um, not only to survive an encounter with sharks, as the title suggests, but also to keep the family financially afloat for a while. Um, inevitably, the three children of the family grow up and leave the island to attend college and pursue careers. Um, Noah's brother is the star of his D1 basketball team. Noah's sister is on the path to become an engineer. And Noah himself is using his magical power as an EMT. I won't tell you what that power is. Um, okay. I love this book because it cycles through the perspective of each of these family members. Um, and all of them in some way struggle to adapt to their new lives and their connection to Hawaii and a, a big tragedy eventually bring them back to their home. I think I would recommend this to someone who enjoyed Tommy Orange's They're There and Yajasi's Homegoing. They're both mm -hmm. really rich family sagas that we get to see um, multiple perspectives in. Well, that's high praise indeed, so I'm, I'll, I'll look forward to that. I note that you're, the second on your list, I believe, is by the same author that wrote the book about learning to be a um, person who uses a hammer. Am I correct? Is it yes. Nina McLaughlin? Yes, Nina McLaughlin. <laughs> she is a Cambridge resident, so I'm repping the locals here. Um, this is called Summer Solstice, and it's an essay. So it's a tiny read-in-one-sitting essay in book form uh, that is a meditation on summer and what, what it means for us, especially in New England. And the author describes the pleasures of uh, fat red tomato slices sliced thin and salted. Mm. She writes about sinking to the bottom of Walden Pond and then pushing back up from the floor of the pond. Um, the first hot dog off the grill. So a lot of simple pleasures of summer that I think we can't take for granted right now. And um, right now, especially, it's important to take pleasure in those simple moments of summer. Um, it was very therapeutic for me to read. Well, she's an excellent writer. I did interview her for that uh, book about learning to work, to become a contractor, really. Um, and that was a fabulous book. So I, I definitely would look forward to anything that she would uh, be writing. So that's great. Okay, over to you, Veronica, your uh, top two. All right. So first off um, is a fantasy novella with a, a long title that I can never remember. It's The Order of the Pure Moon Reflected in Water, and it's written by Zen Cho, who is a British-Malaysian author. The premise of this book is that it is set in a sort of um, like fantasy China world. If you think like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, so 
ancient China, but magic is real. But, you know, the magic isn't really particularly important to the story. The premise is that a bandit walks into a coffee house and he sees his own wanted poster up in in the coffee house and he's just kind of sidling up to the bar and sees one of the other customers picking on the waitress. So he gets into a fight to defend the waitress, who, as it turns out, is an ex-nun. And the waitress then decides to follow him home. She's, she says, well, you got me fired, so now it's your job to take responsibility for me. And she joins his group of bandits and causes incredible problems for, for this bandit crew as she just follows them around being a nun. And it's so funny, but the, like, the soul of this story is so strong. It's, it's about family. It's about like, the trauma after war. The dialogue is so good. It's so good. I wish everybody could write dialogue the way Zen Cho writes it. Wow. Um, I could just I could just hear everybody speaking, and it was so it was so vivid. I loved this story. I I wish that it was longer. I wish so much that it was longer. <laughs> Those are the best when you just don't want them to end. That's a wonderful compliment. The tragedy of novellas, and I think for my second choice, since we were talking about romance tropes, Alicia Ray has a series called the Modern Love series, and the the first one was the Right Swipe. Hmm. which was about the founder of a like a Tinder co- competitor, I guess meant to be more more like Bumble, like more women-centric. Um, so she had her romance in the first book, and then the second one is called Girl Gone Viral. <laughs> um, and it is such a good inversion of all these romance tropes because the book is about Katrina, and Katrina has... Um, like very bad anxiety. She was the victim of a kidnapping attempt when she was younger and she's terrified to even leave the house. She's getting treatment. She's going to therapy. She takes medication. She's trying, she's trying to get out of the house. And on one of her very rare visits out of the house, she goes to a cafe and a cute stranger talks to her and she's, you know, she's having a good time. She's like, okay, you know, I can talk to a cute stranger in a cafe. And then she finds out that someone at the next table over was live tweeting the entire thing. Uh, and she's just terrified. She's, you know, she has horrible anxiety. She's afraid that, you know, people from her past are going to find her. All she wants to do is, you know, run away and hide. Um, this is, you know, this is, oh, like what a cute story, but it's it's not cute for her. This is terrifying for her. And her bodyguard offers to take her home to his family farm so that she can hide. And of course, now now we get into like, you know, romance tropes that we are not we are not subverting at all. Her bodyguard loves her tragically. She loves him, <laughs> tragically. Um, they just love of each course. other so much and they can't confess because he works for her. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and he also has very bad PTSD. Um, and, oh, God. <laughs> you know, and it, this, this book is just a symphony of romance tropes. But I, I appreciate so much that, um, you know, they both characters struggle with their mental health and it's not something that's just magically solved because they fall in love. They still, they still need therapy. They still need treatment. That's part of them. It doesn't make them unlovable. Um, it doesn't make them incapable of loving each other. It's just part of them. And I thought it was, it was such a beautiful, beautiful love story, and I, I enjoyed it so much. Well, 
that sounds wonderful. So I know many people will be checking it out because, as we've said, uh, lots of us are looking for some romance escapism. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and I'm here with Susanna Borostan-Takach of the Cambridge Public Library, Robin Brenner of the Public Library of Brookline, and Veronica coven Mattisee of the Boston Public Library. We're continuing an hour-long conversation about summer reading recommendations. Now, here's a question to all of you. Do you have any hint that because people, those who ha- are big readers anyway, for, for sure, and, and perhaps others, um, have been doing so much reading during the shut-in, that summer reading, which was always so special and a little bit different, maybe won't be as interesting to many readers? This is Robin from Brookline, but it's we're doing a lot to make summer reading accessible this year, and also it's um, all going to be online um, pretty much, so you can do it all virtually. We will also have paper versions that we'll be distributing through the schools as well as the meal program through the schools to make sure that everyone can get access to the program. What we've really concentrated on is having a significant amount that is about reading and is about you get, uh, it's activity-based, so it's like you do these different activities and earn badges and the big community prize this year is working towards a donation from um, the Friends of the Brookline Public Library to the Brookline Food Pantry. Um, So that's the goal of it, um, rather than the kind of what I think people might be familiar with of the little prizes that people used to win for little kids. Um, So we we made it community-focused and kind of everyone competes together for that prize. Hmm. And um, But then the activities are also just a full range. So, for example, for teens, we, we have a whole category that's about different challenges for reading and using the library and getting recommendations and things like that. But we also have things like a whole category that's all called self-care. So that's about, you know, go outside and sit outside for 10 minutes when you've turned your phone off and just enjoy being outside. Or, you know, do, uh, there's also a community-focused one where it's doing something in the community. So it's different kinds of challenges so that people can still feel like they're participating and doing a kind of a summer activity together. Um, but we're, we broadened out the categories given the knowledge that everyone is a little more scattered and a little more stressed this summer. So to give them different options. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Susanna, are you feeling that people maybe won't be as interested in summer reading or you're doing similar uh, things that uh, Robin's doing at her library? Yeah, I don't think that the interest in summer reading will wane at all during this. We are clearly demarcating summer reading as a special event for both kids and adults, again, through an online interactive platform. And we plan to have some virtual events hosted on social media and on Zoom, um, where, for example, a, a virtual trivia night with a literary theme and a possible podcast recording based from the library. So we're trying to um, bring everything online with incentives to read, and I don't think that we'll have any trouble convincing people to. Okay. Veronica, I guess you agree. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that especially for, for adult summer reading, you know, if people are reading already, fantastic. That's a great way to get them into summer reading. You're doing it already. I'm actually on the adult summer reading committee for for Boston Public Library, and we've been doing a lot of work, obviously, trying to transition the program to something that will function online. But yeah, I think that summer reading for adults is always, you know, it feels nostalgic to people. It feels comforting. You're going back to, you know, the summer reading you remember as a child. um, And it's not something that you have to do. Um, mm-hmm. 
I, th- I think that that's just, that's so powerful for people that you can just, you can read what you want. Um, and hey, you're competing with other people and you might win something. Um, it's also, at least for me, a, a nice motivator. Um, I'm very competitive. But I think that whether you want to read a whole laundry list of books or you just want to kind of be part of the feeling that you're you're part of a community, you're sharing this together with other people, that's really important and powerful, especially right now when you know we can't see each other in person. You can still be in touch with each other by reading a book or telling each other about a book. Okay. And you made the point that you're the the summer reading. So pick another one from your list that uh, people should know about. Hey. You know, okay, this is this one is backlist. I only recently read Six of Crows by Lee Bardugo, um, mm-hmm. which is a YA novel. And I had read one of her earlier books and I hadn't, I was like, oh, okay, this is okay, but I'm not in love with it or anything. And now I've, I've read Six of Crows and I was like, oh, this is why people love Lee Bardugo so much. It is a heist novel set in a sort of fantasy version of Amsterdam-ish, and it's just so tightly plotted. The characters are so compelling. You've got you've got the whole team. You know, it's it's Ocean's Eleven, but in fantasy Amsterdam, and they're trying to break somebody out of prison. And I I don't want this book has so many twists. I don't want to spoil them. Yeah, do but, not spoil. People will be mad. <laughs> no spoilers. No <laughs> okay. spoilers except for romances. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it is it is like oh uh, the twists in this book truly shocked me. Um, and so so well plotted, so well plotted. It's the best heist book I've ever read. Wonderful. Uh, two things I wanted to respond to from that suggestion, and that one is backlist means it's not new. <laughs> and uh, uh, the second thing is that YA, which is young adult, uh, all kinds of adults are reading young adult novels. They've gone into a whole other space in the last three years. And so some of the young adult authors are really become kind of stars in their own right um, because they have attracted uh, folks of all ages, not just in one one demographic, as Robin can can tell me. And I'm going to transition over to you, Robin, so you pick something off your list. <laughs> um, well, I'll say actually just related to, uh, I love a good heist novel as well. That's like one of my weaknesses in genre. Um, but I also just love, I love kind of smart fantasy world building. And I also like adventure. So um, the one I will pick for this one is um, The Mermaid, the Witch, and the Sea by Maggie Takuda Hall. And it's um, one of those books where it seems like it's full of tropes. It's all about pirates um, and a very well-bred, you know, young lady who is thinking that she's setting off on a cruise to be married off um, in an arranged marriage to the appropriate lord, except that, of course, it turns out the ship is all pirates and they're about to be taken for nefarious means. But uh, what's interesting about the book is it does have some of the tropes that we're used to, of the kind of the language and the formality and kind of the idea of high seas adventure and everyone having kind of elaborate clothing. So it gives you this kind of period feel, um, but it's a fantasy universe. It's drawing from a lot of very real history of the kind of imperial history of Japan and the United States and Britain. So it's all kind of combined into kind of investigating imperialism and colonialism. Um, So it's not light in that sense. But what makes it really interesting is the characters are fantastic. The main uh, romantic interest is actually a gender fluid pirate, uh, which is lots of fun. And I think all of the kind of 
appeal of that classic sort of adventure story and of someone finding themselves in a group of outsiders and realizing that they might be one as well is kind of a wonderful journey to go on with the characters and it's beautifully written um so it's one of those great doom books that i was very excited that came out in may so it is out now Oh, that is fabulous. Now, I noticed on your list, Robin, and by the way, you should say, because that world building is part of what's called speculative fiction, Mm -hmm. which is just blowing up. I did a whole show on speculative fiction last August. It's online if people want to listen to it with some local authors. And it's just amazing to me, you know, how big that's become for people like myself, who were never particularly science fiction kind of folks, but the stories have become so complex and so deep. And as you've just described with the history and, you know, the interesting characters and not what you expect. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's really it's, it's much different from, I think, whatever people's um, image of what they believe it would be. So I just wanted to add that as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, right. Susanna, what you got going Um your next pick? Yes, I have a book here that is written for adults, but I think could also be enjoyed by teens, although it does have some very mature content. It's called The Knockout Queen by Rufy Thorpe. And I would recommend this to anyone who enjoyed Sally Rooney's Normal People, which was really big last year and is now a TV show. And it's a novel about the unlikely friendship between two teenagers in L.A. Michael is a hyper-intelligent gay but closeted straight-A student. Uh, He has long hair and a septum piercing. And Bunny is a confident, very wealthy, very tall volleyball player who aspires to one day play in the Olympics. And both Bunny and Michael, they have something in common because they come from very neglectful families, and that is kind of what brings them together. And both of them are shaken by separate acts of violence that force them each to grow up really fast and battle with what it means to be a good person and a good friend. And what's most notable about this book is Michael's voice. Um, He narrates the book and will become your new cynical best friend. He's amazing. (laughs) I laughed out loud so many times. Um, So though the novel deals with some really weighty topics um, and gruesome violence, its humor will bring you joy. It's so good. All right. Veronica, I want to note from all of your lists, there are some names I might recognize. And I think for some people who are particular fans of a few of these authors, they will be quite recognizable. But for the most part, you know, if you think about like huge blockbuster names, I'm just going to throw out one like John Grisham or something. That's not reflected on any of your lists. And I wonder if you think that what that says is, is that are people just way more open to um, not being attracted by the blockbusters necessarily, or are they reading the blockbusters and choosing other kinds of things? Well, I mean, I'll be I'll be honest. My my list reflects mostly my personal taste this time around. Um, I don't read John Grisham. Um, I you know I'm I'm very very firmly an escapism reader. I think that people are definitely still reading all those blockbuster, you know, thrillers, you know, reading a thriller can be escapism just as much as reading a romance novel or reading a fantasy novel. It's, it's, you know, whatever that particular person enjoys escaping into. I think it can be just as comforting to read about brutal murders, knowing that the brutal murderer is going to be caught (laughs) and appropriately punished. Um, it's just, you know, for me, I, I don't like reading about brutal murders. I like reading about people falling in love. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, I get it. I just I mean, I just use John Grisham as an example of because I'm just noticing that there appears to be more eclecticness in most people's lists these days. I, I, didn't, I just picked him out of the air. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, since I'm not in the library every day seeing seeing what everybody is is checking out, it's maybe a little harder for me to to keep my my thumb on the pulse of what what is most being checked out in any given day. Mm-hmm. But I would I would say yes, for sure. You know, all of all of those major major thriller writers, you know, just all the blockbuster writers, they're they're still selling plenty of books and people are still checking out plenty of them from the library. Okay. So what's your next pick from your list that you love? <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Well, we're going to we're definitely going to go with another romance because I got to stay true to my roots. I will <laughs> go with um, Two Rogues Make a Right by Cat Sebastian. This is a uh, a gay romance. It's the third in a trilogy called Seducing the Sedgwicks, which is all about three brothers who, of course, fall in love. And I thought that this book was just so emblematic of our of our current times. And I know that it, you know, like it couldn't have possibly been written that way because they get written, you know, quite a while before they get published. Um, but it is it's a book about uh, being sick. The main character has tuberculosis, and you know he's you know, it's, it's a chronic condition. He is eventually going to die of it. But his best friend finds him and basically kidnaps him out of London and takes him to a small cottage in the country so that he can recover. And that's it. That's the entire book. There's absolutely no plot in this book. It's just about being out in a cottage with your best friend who you secretly love being nursed back to health. Um, that's pretty good. <laughs> it's just, you know, sometimes, sometimes that's what you want to read about. Exactly. Um, Particularly if it's a cute cottage, I got to (laughs) say. Well, thank you, Veronica, for that. Uh, Thank all of you for our first suggestions. We got more to go. Coming up, let's talk about suggestions for children's books, and I'll share a few things that are on my list. We're continuing our hour-long summer reading special. More of our conversation next on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. Welcome back. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and we're using the full hour for our annual summer reading special. It's part of Bookmarked, the Under the Radar book club. Joining me, Susanna Boristan Tukach, Emerging Technologies librarian at the Cambridge Public Library, Robin Brenner, teen librarian at the Public Library of Brookline, and Veronica coven Madison, reader services librarian at the Boston Public Library. And we're continuing the conversation. I want to start it this way. You all have heard the stories. We've all seen them about the poor parents who's, who are inside now becoming teachers for some of the school-age kids. And for the younger ones, they are 
you know, desperate to try to find entertainment for them. And there grew during this stay-at-home advisory a whole roster of events online with celebrities reading stories, um, with other kinds of story times, librarians across the country doing story time virtually so parents could, you know, uh, sign in and listen to it. And from that, you know, there are some some interesting books that have come out. I want to play President and Mrs. Obama. Um, they joined the Chicago Public Library's Live from the Library Storytime Sessions. And this is the book that they read. It's called The Word Collector by Peter Reynolds. We chose this book because it illustrates the transformative power of words. I love words. Yeah, your favorite. So let's get started. Okay. The Word Collector. Collectors collect things. Some people collect stamps. Some people collect coins. And Jerome, what did he collect? Jerome collected words. He collected words he heard. Certain words caught his attention. I um, just am very excited about the readings by some of these folks, not just because they're celebrities, because some of them actually are quite good. Dolly Parton, love her. She's been a big book supporter for kids for so long. She gives away books to kids, by the way. People don't know that. And her reading is fantastic. But I happen to actually also be very interested in children's books, not just because they're interesting, because I have friends who uh, want them. So I thought The Word Collector, that would be one I would read for sure. I'm going to mention a couple that I've come across that I like, and then I'm anxious to hear what you all might suggest. So here's a brand new one called Dozens of Donuts. It's by Carrie Finnison. She is a local author. She lives in Arlington. And it's about Luann, a stout black bear, trying to fry donuts for one last pre-hibernation meal. She wants to eat them all herself, but the doorbell keeps ringing and people keep popping in to eat the donuts. <laughs> and it's very cute. So there's Clyde the raccoon, Topsy the opossum, and more. And she obliges, but she really just wants them to go so she can eat the donuts and then go to sleep. And it's very <laughs> cute. Um, it's for ages three to seven. The illustrations are by Brian Fairley, and the bear has a little apron on and a big stack of donuts. Very cute. So <laughs> I think that uh, children would love that uh, to be read to them this summer. Uh, from all of you, which ones would you suggest uh, that are your favorites or have been flying out of the library shelves, so to speak, virtually? Well, I can chime in as the teen librarian here, <laughs> um, um, although I have a few that I can mention that are for younger readers. Um, in Brookline, we actually have two of us that cover um, what's called tween, which is the kind of uh, fifth to seventh grade, and then I do teen, which is eight to twelve, so we have a lot of crossover between our books. And um, there are two, I'm going to bring up graphic novels, because I think for a lot of people, that's something that's a little bit easier to read right now. If you're if you're a little bit distracted, graphic novels can still really engage a lot of kids. And um, uh, there is one creator who is very well known in, in both the comics world and just the book world in general, which is uh, Jean Luen Yang. And he has two books out at the same time that are both fantastic. And it was one of those moments where I read both of them in quick succession and was just like, oh, he's so fantastic like how great is this is this creator um so the first one is called dragon hoops and it came out in march and it is all about high school basketball and uh, jean yang himself 
has always self-identified as a, a kind of a big nerd who has zero interest in sports. So he had no idea that he would ever write a book about basketball or sports of any kind. <laughs> um, but this is in the high school that he teaches at or taught at. Um, and he's now using it to kind of figure out what is it that makes sports so appealing, what makes a team a team, um, what makes basketball the game that it is. Um, he does a lot of really interesting um, kind of diversions in the book to look at the history of the game from lots of different points of view. So there's the history of the game initially, just as how it was set up, but also then, like, for example, when did um, women come into the game and what was their game like and why was it different from men's basketball for a long time? And how did China become interested in basketball and start producing players? Um, so there's a lot of different stuff going on in the book. Um, he's a real master of the craft at this point. So this is a, a book that he created entirely by himself. So he wrote and drew it. Wow. Um, so that's he drew fantastic. It too? Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's one of the, <laughs> the, the hyphenates, I guess you'd call him. He does both. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and then the other one uh, was for DC Comics, and it's called Superman Smashes the Clan. Um, and that is the clan that you're thinking. <laughs> so, um, and this actually comes from a real event that happened in uh, 1946 on the radio serial about Superman. There was an entire storyline about Superman confronting the KKK. Hmm. Um, there's a lot of history there that's actually really fascinating about why it, why it came out, the, when it did, and what the motivation was and how much it affected um, society's awareness of the KKK and what they stood for. Um, they had a kind of fictionalized version of the Klan, and that's a little bit true here as well, but it's very obvious that that is what they're talking about. Um, but this one is uh, about the, the Lee family, which is a Chinese-American family that's moving into Monop downtown Metropolis from China Chinatown, and it's about Superman um, kind of getting involved when they start being harassed uh, by the local clan as well as um, just trying to adjust to a very new life in a new place. Um, and it becomes one of those stories that I will be the first to admit that Superman is actually not my favorite superhero. Um, I often find him a little bit bland, which I think uh, some people can relate to. Um, but this was incredibly well done. You really care about Superman because what I think a lot of people... Um, may forget about Superman when you get to the kind of current storylines is that he is an immigrant himself and that he has a lot of problems right. and kind yeah. of figuring out how to fit into American culture. And in this case, because they're setting it in the 40s, um, at that time when Superman was in the comics, he couldn't do all the things that we think of him doing. He couldn't fly. Um, he couldn't, um, like, shoot laser beams out of his eyes. There were all these powers that he didn't have yet, and he eventually got those powers over the course of the comics progressing. So Gene took that and and uses that as a story of him um, holding back and being scared for being too strange and, and too different from everyone else. And it just resonated really beautifully. Um, I will fully admit that in my, you know, quarantine state, that actually made me cry a little bit at the end. So <laughs> um, so those are the two that I'd really recommend for comics. And therefore, um, they'd be fine for like middle grade up through teens. Okay, great. Veronica? Uh oh, um, I mean, I, I first of all, I absolutely second Robin's um, recommendation for the Superman smashes the clan, and this this one is is just a personal favorite. Um, I read a picture book called Queen of Physics by Teresa Robeson, and oh, it's about a, a woman physicist um, from China who just did such incredible research and was actually never 
recognized appropriately for all of their contributions to science. I think, I believe the the book said that at least two groups of men received Nobel prizes for, you know, like research that she contributed to. So if, if you're angry about um, <laughs> Rosalind Franklin um, and the discovery of DNA, this book will also make you furious. Um, and I, <laughs> But it's it's such a beautiful story about science, and you know you just keep trying, and science keeps progressing. And Wu Qianxiong, you know, she just kept she kept working, she kept progressing, even though there were so many things um, holding her back. And the the art is also incredibly beautiful. It's um, like collage style. Robin, you would probably be better than me at guessing age range, but I think you know like tween, a little younger than tween, um, would really appreciate it. Um, oh, that's great. It, and if I can, I will also throw in a recommendation. DC has been putting out a lot of comic books about different characters, so not just Superman, but some of the less well-known ones. They recently put out one about um, Barbara Gordon, who was one of the first Batgirl, but also then became a character known as Oracle after she was uh, attacked by the Joker and lost the use of her legs. And DC put out a middle grade um, comic book called The Oracle Code about Barbara learning to cope with being in a wheelchair um, and solving mysteries. Hmm. And it's written by a, a physically disabled author. And you can you can absolutely tell it's so sincere. I really, really strongly recommend it. It has great art, but it's also like such a such a wonderful, empowering story. I love it when you can tell these special stories and it's also beautifully drawn because, you know, little kids can really get the, the double understanding through the picture and the words. I'd offer one called One Love by Sadella Marley. You may remember that name. That's Bob Marley's daughter. And one of his big songs was One Love. And she did a she's done a picture book to talk about what one love means to community. The illustrations are lovely, and the little story is so great. So um, that's a two-for-one children's book. And, you know, again, I'm not the age person, but it's it's definitely below the tween. So I would say it would be three to, you know, maybe seven or whatever. All right, we're moving on. Susanna, what's on your list? I have to note, let me just say, before you say anything, you have this book that's getting a lot of attention by Samantha Irby called Wow, No Thank You Essays. And it's it's getting a lot of attention, as I understand it, because she had a, a wonderful first book that sold very well. But also, just it got my attention because the cover has this little cute bunny rabbit on it. And it's very interesting. I was like, what is this about? But uh, you tell me. Yes, it has a very eye-catching <laughs> cover and title. Uh neon green for those who are at home trying to imagine it and this is a book of essays humorous essays this is a very laugh out loud does not take itself seriously book um, about the strains of marriage samantha irby's on the verge of turning 40 and thinking about her aging body and bodily functions and um, she writes a lot about working from home as a freelance writer and the junk food that she consumes during that time. So I think a lot of the themes are relatable topics for people right now. And it is somehow both self-deprecating and self-celebratory at the same time. It's such a feel-good book. And I might even reread it if I hit another quarantine mood slump. And she has two books, actually, prior oh. to this one. So if you like her work, oh, okay. there are two more to enjoy. <laughs> um, it, it, you're talking about rereading and comfort. Uh, reminded me that one of the themes I've heard from a couple of uh, other writers during this time is that 
uh, what's been drawing them back to reading it is comfort. So there's a great uh, article by this woman who writes for Pure Wow. Her name is Sarah Steve Vader, I believe. I don't, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it. She says, I'm a books editor and I want to, don't want to read right now. Well, if you continue the article, it turns out she's revisiting comfort books and opting for short books is her suggestion. But the comfort part of it, I was kind of interested in um, because... In addition to escapism, Veronica, you have uh, books on your list by my looking at it that seem that would seem to offer that comfort that she suggests is good um, right now and going into the summer. Absolutely. And I'm I'm a huge proponent of comfort reading. I think, you know, reading a short book, reading a book you've already read before, you know, now is the time, but you shouldn't be embarrassed to do it at any time at all. You know what? I will. I will. I will just keep going with my romance recommendations because I don't think there's anything that's yeah. more comforting. Okay. Um, and there's, these are also quite short. Um, there's a series by an author called Ruby Lang called the Uptown series, hmm. and she, these are these are novellas. They're very short. Um, they're very easy to get through. Even even for romance novels, they're short and easy to get through. Um, but they're about um, love blooming in the due to the New York real estate market. Huh. Um, so the, and I thought it's, it's, it's a trilogy, um, but the, the latest one is called House Rules and it's a, it's a second chance romance. So it's about, um, a couple who were married in, you know, like when they were quite young, I think in their early twenties, um, and then realized that, you know, like their lives, they didn't want the same life. And so they split up, um, he stayed put and became a music teacher and, um, she went off to travel the world. Um, and now she's, you know, they're in their late thirties. Um, and you know, they're, they're tired. They want to settle down. Um, they just want, you know, a comforting home environment. Um, and she's back in New York and she needs a place to stay and he needs to move out of his apartment. Um, and they decide, you know, well, we're still married. Um, and like we were okay roommates. So they decide to become roommates again. It's so comforting to read about, you know, people who really know each other. They've they've never stopped loving each other, but what they wanted in life didn't coincide. And now they've gone off and they've lived their lives and they can come back to each other and, you know, make space for each other. I thought it was incredibly romantic. Oh, that sounds wonderful and comforting, I might add. Um, I'll say that um, I'm looking for comfort in writers uh, I used to read a long time ago and always enjoyed. So Terry McMillan has a new book. It's called It's Not All Downhill From Here. So I'm looking forward to that. And um, uh, here's even older. Um, You all may know the author, Tiari Jones, um, whose American marriage got quite a bit of attention when it uh, was out a couple years ago. She's written an introduction, a new introduction to a 1940s novel called The Street by Anne Petrie. And so I'm looking forward to revisiting that according to the theme. But I'm also looking forward to whatever else Robin Brenner wants to point out on her list. So what's your next pick? <laughs> um, I think if we're talking about one one collection that I think is available now that a lot of people might uh, find interesting, partly because it's short stories. Um, and that's another thing I think that can help people kind of read without feeling like they have to commit to an entire, you know, 500 page novel. Um, and uh, a lot of young adult novels, I think you go back and forth between being kind of um, easier to read and then you have the kind of behemoth books that come out or the long series um, so I think short stories are a really great place to to kind of 
find different authors. Um, and there's one that came out called Phoenix First Must Burn, and it's 16 hmm. stories of black girl magic resistance and hope. And it just, it includes an amazing list of authors. Um, it's edited by Patrice Caldwell, but it includes um, authors like Elizabeth Acevedo, Danielle Clayton, Justina Ireland, Rebecca Rowanhorse, and Ibi Zaboy. Um, so it's just like this amazing list of authors. They're all writing different stories. It's not necessarily, there's not a, a kind of overarching connection between all the stories, except for that focus on Black girls and on having a kind of a hopeful story and something about um, the power and persuasiveness. Um, so it's just one of those great short story collections. I love being able to find new authors in a collection like that, where you have the kind of the people that you already know, but then you discover um, a great uh, story that you may not have ever come across before. So that's one I'd recommend, definitely. Um, and I would point out that E.B. Zaboy um, is the author of something called Pride, which was mm -hmm. one of the reimaginings of Pride and Prejudice. I did a, yeah. a book club segment about how that story keeps being reimagined in, in modern settings. And she did one that was set in uh, Harlem. And it's really interesting and, and mm -hmm. for kind of young adults uh, as well. So uh, I've seen her name before and her work is really quite good. Okay, back to you, Susanna. And I should say, before as we're talking, we're not going to get to everything on everybody's list, and I have a list too. So it's all going to be on our website. So if you're there, uh, if you're listening, trying to scribble it all down, don't worry. We got the whole list for you um, that you can continue to refer to as the summer goes along. Susanna, next pick. Yeah. So last summer we talked about Educated by Tara Westover, mm -hmm. and for those who are looking for another very engrossing memoir coming of age story. I have Fairest by Meredith Toulousen, and this is a memoir about an albino boy who grows up as a child TV actor in the Philippines, um, achieves his dream of living in the United States by earning a scholarship to Harvard, and eventually undergoes a gender transition. And we watch Meredith get constantly mistaken for a white person at Harvard because of her skin color. We see how she falls in love with theater, and later on photography and activism. And she falls in love with a man while exploring her gender identity at the risk of losing this man. Um, it's all such an engrossing reading experience. I think I finished it in a day. And also noteworthy is that it is largely set on the familiar streets of Cambridge and Boston. So local readers will enjoy that aspect. Again, that's Fairest by Meredith Toulousen. I would highly recommend it. Okay. I should note that all of you have uh, mentioned suggestions that uh, the storylines deal with gender identity. So that must be a theme that is coming forward with a lot of these new authors, which is interesting. And I would assume, Veronica, that that means that these are people who didn't have opportunities before to tell these stories. I think, yeah, I mean, it's and it's it's one of those things where we always want to you know, make sure that we're saying like, it's not that these stories didn't exist before. It's not even that people weren't writing these stories, but um, maybe it was more difficult to find a wide audience. And now the the publishing industry and also the expansion of self-publishing makes it easier to to get your story into the, the hands of people who want and need to read it. Uh, I think that's great. Um, make your next pick. We're, we're going with the theme here. Let's go with um, Get a Life, Chloe Brown, um, and the sequel, which I haven't read yet. It is on my Kindle. I'm 
I'm going to get to it soon, but it's it's coming out soon. Take a hint, Danny Brown, <laughs> um, by Talia Hibbert, because she is also um, one of those authors who really got her start self-publishing, actually. Oh. Um, and she is like she's been an absolute darling of you know like the self-published indie romance uh, world, and is just now um, get a life, Chloe Brown. I would have to look this up, but it is it is being put out by a major publisher. I don't know if it's Berkeley or Macmillan, um, but um, it is a really really charming, again very tropey romance about um, a black woman with she she has a, a disability and she's been very protected by her family. Her family, you know, really wants to take care of her, and she has. Um, a near-death experience where she almost gets hit by a car um, and decides, you know, I'm, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to live my life. But uh, she decides that in order to do it properly, she needs to make a list. So she makes a list of all the things she has to do in order to get a life. Ah, okay. And so all right. <laughs> she moves out of the family home and she has all these things she wants to do. She wants to she wants to go camping. She wants to ride a motorcycle. She wants to uh, she wants to hook up with someone and have like a good meaningless hookup. Um, but uh, and meanwhile, um, the the super of the apartment that she now lives in, his name is Red, and he is he's just come out of an abusive relationship, and he has you know like horribly low self esteem, and so he sees her, and he's like, she's so put together, she's so beautiful, she's obviously very rich. Um, and he's like, oh, you know, just like so dazzled by her. And meanwhile, she's, you know, in her apartment, you know, thinking I need to, like I need to get it together. I need to get a life. And so she recruits him to, to help her with her list. It's just such a charming romance. And the sequel is another fake dating story. I, <laughs> I haven't like I said, I haven't actually read it yet, but I'm very excited about it. It's about her sister um, uh, fake dating one of her friends for for the viral hits. <laughs> that sounds good. Um, well, sadly, I'm going to have to leave it there. We have many more to get to on your list, which will be posted on the Under the Radar um, page so that you can read them all and uh, go back and refer to them, as I said. Um, I can't say enough about how much I love libraries and reading and librarians, so this is always a great conversation for me. I also want to take a moment to shout out independent bookstores and two that almost went under and yet readers uh, rallied when they were asked to. Just want to name them. Bunch of Grapes on Martha's Vineyard and Frugal Bookstore in Roxbury um, had great successful GoFundMe pages. Uh, and so we want to always support uh, independent bookstores like the Harvard Bookstore and Porter Square Books in Cambridge, two of my other favorites. And librarians who always know the good books. So thank you all for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Uh, Susanna Borostan Tkach is the Emerging Technologies Librarian at the Cambridge Public Library. Robin Brenner is the Teen Librarian at the Public Library of Brookline. And Veronica Coven Mattesey is the Reader Services Librarian at the Boston Public Library. And again, you can find their lists on our webpage. That's it for this special one-hour edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Join us next Sunday at 6 p.m. for the stories you may have missed. We're on the web at wgbh.org, News Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, and available for download wherever you get your podcasts. 
Under the Radar with Callie Crossley is a production of WGBH, produced by Hannah Ubeli and engineered by Dave Goodman. Our theme music is Fish and Chips by We Are Two Sexies, Grace Kelly and Leo P. See you here at 6 p.m. next Sunday. I'm Callie Crossley. Thanks for listening.